So how do we build the house of the Lord? How does the church of Jesus get built up? An amazing interview with my friend, Bob Gladstone, coming next. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. My guest, Bob Gladstone, says it's time for a Jesus movement. It is time to build the house of the Lord. Bob Gladstone and I have worked together now since late 96, early 97. He has taught at Brownsville Revival School of Ministry, which became Fire School of Ministry, has poured into our students and grads for over two decades, has raised his kids in the ways of the Lord, has pioneered a network of house churches called The King's People and has now written a book. I've been waiting for this book for many, many years. It's called A Time to Build, A Time to Build, Revival, the Church, and God's Eternal Purpose. Bob, great to have you on the line of fire. At long last, with your book, It's Time to Build. Amazing privilege to be here, and your encouragement and support are all over that book. Well, um, we've been in this for many years together, as I said. And I have seen over the years, Bob, your great love for Scripture. You love the things of the Spirit. You love practical ministry. And at the same time, in harmony with that, you are a word-based person, ultimately earning a, a PhD in New Testament studies. I had the privilege of being one of your dissertation readers. And it's out of your love for the Word that, that you are convinced that God has a pattern not detailed in in every last dimension, but that God has a pattern for the building of the church. Why do you believe that Jesus has given us a blueprint for what it means to build the house of the Lord? Well, I believe the practice of the apostles in Acts and then what's implied or directly stated in the epistles give us that. You know, Jesus prophesied and proclaimed he would build his church upon the rock And then when Paul and others actually did that, when we take seriously what they did, we see the patterns and principles that formulate the house of the Lord. All right, so let's let's flesh that out. Let's start in Matthew 16, where Peter gives his confession of faith, and then Jesus says that on this rock I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia, my congregation. First, what does he mean when he says, on this rock? What, what's that got to do with Peter, the Catholic views? Is, is Peter the Pope? What, what's the rock that Jesus builds on? Well, the way I see it, of course, Peter is not the Pope. That's not, not what's being stated there. On the other hand, it's more than his confession. It's this person with the deep revelation that Jesus is king. When he has that faith and that revelation, then that's the sort of person upon which Jesus builds his own covenant people. All right, and, and what is ecclesia mean? Was that a brand new word? We have it just a couple of times in the Gospels, Matthew 16, Matthew 18. Paul uses it a lot. Was it just the same word for Old Testament Israel now being used? Was it used in a new way? What's, what's your take on it? How would you define ecclesia, and, and what's Jesus mean by saying it? Well, it does translate words from the Old Testament, right? The word kahal, 
which means assembly or congregation, and I believe at times it translates another word. Edah, yeah. Okay, and, and so, it, you know, it, it does echo, therefore, the covenant people, whether they're physically gathered or just their existence. It's a reference now to the covenant people that are going to be built on faith in the Messiah. So Messianic Jews and believing Gentiles now become this new covenant community. Uh, new in what way? Well, I mean, obviously they have Jesus as their king, and they're all spirit-filled, partaking in the new covenant. You know, the new era has come, and these are the people that belong specifically to the Messiah in the flesh, exalted on high as king. And when we speak of a new era, new community, how radical was this, and what challenges did it bring that you now have Jew and Gentile together in one faith community, but not all living the identical way? Right. Well, that's the great mystery revealed, that you have people from such radically different backgrounds who become blended in a family because Jesus is king and because the Spirit of God is bringing them together in what Paul calls the bond of love. Mm. That's a radically new concept where they actually become family, not just standing on the same plane, but they're actually family. They're brothers and sisters. All right. Again, friends, the new book by Robert Gladstone, A Time to Build— And the reason I say I've been waiting for this book for many, many years is because I've been working with Bob over 20 years, and when I've heard him preach or teach, it's always chock full of new insights. When we've done interviews, we just recorded a series of interviews that will be on God TV as we talk about Fire School of Ministry online. I've always been enriched by Bob's insights, but then the students that have been in his class, New Jesus People and classes on 1 Corinthians and other things, have, have always been blown away by, by the content, the riches of it. And I've been just waiting, okay, Bob, you got to get this out to a wider audience. And Bob, you've just been waiting for God's time. Why, why was now the time to get this out? How did it fall into place that now is the time to finally put this in book form? Well, the Lord so strongly put it on my heart one night, so I immediately began to take notes and make an outline, and then I just worked on it when I could until it was out. But I do believe there's a prophetic moment and a prophetic message in the book, in the title itself, you know, A Time to Build. I'm getting out of Ecclesiastes 3, of course, and and also there's echoes of Haggai there. But I believe it's a prophetic time for us where God is releasing grace to build his house, that is his people, his church, his way. We've mixed a lot of human conventions and traditions in the way we constitute his house. Mm-hmm. I believe he's releasing grace to do it now with what I would consider more apostolic wisdom or more in a kingdom way. All right. So we recognize that God moves in many different cultures, many different ways, and that he's bigger than our structures. He's bigger than our experiences and our traditions. And what may seem foreign to me is very natural for someone else. So the point here is not to say other systems are wrong or bad, but yet we recognize that a lot of what we do, we do by tradition, and some of that tradition is is built on the flesh rather than built on the the Word of God. What would you see, Bob, as as some of the, the wrong ways of thinking about church or building church or maybe church the way we do it in America that to you just strike you as contrary to Scripture? Well, I, I see some of the tendencies as geared more toward an attendance culture that is selling a product to consumers rather than calling people into covenant with Jesus and covenant in, uh, with one another. 
and therefore really intentionally building relationships and breaking bread together, sharing life together, sharing resources, sharing the Holy Spirit, and sharing mission. That's more of what I see in the New Testament. We tend to gear things, and again, this isn't meant to be a criticism, but an observation, that we tend to gear things more toward consumers and an attendance culture where you can come and go as you wish rather than having that sense, you know, I can't just leave the way I would leave, like I wouldn't leave my family this way. It's like there's a bond there where we share everything in order together to be conformed to Christ's image rather than individuals being conformed to Christ's image who happen to gather in an assembly once a week. So can can we ultimately build the kind of church that the New Testament envisions and be the community that the New Testament envisions if the extent of our coming together is, say, one corporate meeting in a building for a couple of hours once a week? No, certainly not. I mean, that's that's part of what I'm trying to get at in the book. We need that that radical commitment to Jesus first. That's really where I'm coming from. And then to one another in order to embody him together. It, it takes levels of sacrifice that we're not used to by just attending. When we're in an environment that demands relationships with people that we would not normally maybe gravitate toward and that we, you know, our discipleship includes overcoming different issues in our relationships and then working together and taking full ownership rather than leaving it to a staff that demands things on our souls on the one hand, but on the other hand, it develops the image of Jesus in ways that the other formats simply can't. Right. So just like you couldn't develop a healthy family right. by doing something like that. So in in what ways then is the New Testament church seen as a family, not just God's family, that we're his children, but that we are literally family with, with one another? And is that something that's attainable in 21st century America? Oh, most certainly it's attainable. I mean, we're all humans. We're all called to this. You know, we're, we're told that we are baptized into one body, by one spirit. So we're not just baptized in water, we're not just baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we're baptized into the body, we're immersed. We have grace and we have the presence of God to be knit together and to create what Paul calls the body, which is as organic covenant as you can get. So this is a reality God creates, we don't create it. If we try to do it in our own power, we turn it into a cult in one extreme or just an, you know, a once a week conference in the other extreme. It's only by the spirit that we become the people together that God created us and called us to be. And and how does discipleship work itself out in in this setting that you're speaking about which requires people getting together, spending time one with another, blending lives together, loving one another, so making ourselves vulnerable on some level and caring about others. How does this play into with strengthening our relationship with Jesus and being better disciples of Jesus as we build family and community more together here? Well, the first commandment is, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Jesus teaches us, when we, when we bring our gift to the altar and there, remember, our brother has something against us. Leave your gift. It's like there's, a, there's a, almost like a practical pause to the first commandment in order to make sure the second commandment is in order there. You know, they're, they're, 
they're related. One is greater than the other, but they're dynamically related. So I teach our folks, we can't be true disciples without being immersed in church as family and the end result of the disciple-making mission in Matthew 28 is to plant these types of churches uh, out of these disciples. So the two go together hand in hand. You can't really have discipleship without this kind of church in my understanding of Scripture. You know what's interesting, too? You think of Jesus setting his example in John 13, love one another as I have loved you. So it's interesting he doesn't say love God as I have loved you, which certainly we should. But love one another as I have loved you in John 13. And then in 1 John 3, he says, the way we've come to know love is through his having laid down his life for us, him having laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So because Jesus lays down his life for us, we lay down our lives one for the Hey, Hey, Bob, where can folks get a time to build? We're just getting started in this interview. Where can they get the book? They can order it on our website, thekingspeople.org slash build. All right, the King's People. So there's no apostrophe S, yes, thekingspeople.org forward slash build. You'll be enriched by this. We're going to talk about being in the midst of revival, what that experience is like when we come back. Stay right here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. If you have a question for my guest, Bob Gladstone, a scriptural question about church, about fellowship, what it means to be the community of God, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. And let me encourage you to join us online with our complete online program, our complete school, Fire School of Ministry, an intensive two-year program. Then with a third-year internship, you can actually come and intern with us where you can then transfer your credits over to other schools like the King's University online and get advanced degrees there. Go to fireschoolofministry.com, fireschoolofministry.com. Dot com. Enroll in classes today. You can study with Bob Gladstone. You can study with me. You can study with our other gifted faculty. The fruit of our labors, all to God's glory, all his grace. The fruit of our labors is seen in missionaries and evangelists and pastors and moms and dad and singles, bringing incredible fruit all over America, all over the world. And this is what you'll sit in the exact same classes where these folks sat and you take them in the privacy of your home, full audio classes. You can listen in your car as you travel. And then with that, we have full study guides, practicums. So go to fireschoolofministry.com. Request more info today or enroll, apply for classes. Bob, uh, I don't want to embarrass you in saying this, but you are absolutely not a self-exalting person. You're very happy to be background You've never been eager to get your name in front of people. In fact, you kind of shy away from that. And yet you wrote this book, A Time to Build, as a personal memoir. And folks, I went through the whole book. I wrote the foreword to it, my honor to do so. But you, you, you felt to write it as a personal memoir and, and take people on a journey with you through revival and the fires of revival and through church planting 
Why did you feel that you were to do it like that? Yeah, that's a good question. And thank you for not embarrassing me too badly. But there's a couple of reasons why I included memoir. And Moses was the most humble man on the planet. So that's already in the Bible. Yes, that's I, I wasn't okay. going right. to. Yeah, so no, it's okay. Yeah. I'm covered there. Yeah. Um, so for one thing, you know, one of the points of the book is God's creation of and masterful use of time, that he does not work according to our digital socket to me right now or I'm not going to have it kind of mentality. You know, we want everything now. We want full success now without development, without time, without going through difficult times in the wilderness in order to come into the promised land. So I wanted our own story to reflect that, that even with times of revival, which didn't last forever, and there was even some times after that that were difficult, God's purpose is bigger than it all, and he's always working toward that. And I wanted our story, at least bits of it, to reflect that and illustrate that. Another reason is because I knew that some people who knew our history, you know, would be reading the book. And finally, you know, story is powerful. If if I'm telling a story, it can feed into other people's stories. And I wanted to write it that way. Yeah, for those reasons, I think. So you, you paint an amazing picture of being in the Mr. Brown's Revival, but you, you and your church were impacted by it as you were doing ministry in your church as a young man uh, you're with your wife, Gina. You were impacted by it before you, you physically moved to Pensacola and were part of the Brown's Revival. So what happened in your own lives and in your own church? Yeah, it turned us completely around and upside down. We were associate pastors, mainly for youth in Wisconsin, and our pastoral staff visited Brownsville, got radically, dramatically changed, came back and gave testimony one Sunday morning, and that was all she wrote. I mean, I happened to be away on a missions trip on the Sunday that the pastor gave testimony. Now, I had shared with my youth before that, and it was the best youth service we ever had, and the last one, because the church was so changed that we all, you know, worshiped together from that point on. But when I was gone, I was out of the country— when I came back to that church, it was a completely, totally different church in every way. It was a dramatic change. It was mm. amazing. So, I mean, give me some concrete examples. Well, first of all, there was this deep commitment to intercession. We were this praying church. Mm. The dynamic during worship, which was pretty good before, was now out of the roof. There were manifestations, supernatural occurrences of the Spirit, at times divine, at times demonic, that were constant. It was, it was even more intense in that regard so than our experiences So you're saying that the Holy Spirit was moving and demons were being exposed as Abs- well? Absolutely, from every possible angle. It was very intense. And, and it happened when, when everyone went down to Brownsville, the whole place went down and all got like emotionally— No, a handful. Yeah. Just a handful came back, gave testimony. testimony. Yep. Yep. Prayed for one another. It was wild. Right. So the only logical explanation is God's supernatural power at work. And then from there, God called you and your family, then wife and two children, which became five children. Uh, The two didn't become five, but (laughs) three more were were added. How how old were were Jan and Abby when you moved down? Jana was a few years old. Abby was still one around, something like that. Got it. Yes. If you got down in in early 90s, late 96, early 97, when the school started. I guess two then, one and a half. (laughs) Yeah. So so what what happened when you were in services night in, night out for years as as I was? Paint a picture of what happened in the midst of revival. 
So, I mean, things were really geared toward these gatherings where people came from all over the world. I think that's what you're asking, you know, just being a witness of this. Yeah. There were so many dimensions to the revival. Of course, the primary one, the most wonderful one, was the manifest presence of God and all of the effects of his presence. The main one being that deep sense of awe for him with the result of repentance and devotion to him. There was the draw of people from all over the world, you know, the parade of nations, the presentation of all the different nations that were visiting that week was one of my favorite parts of the revival. The, just the dramatic testimonies of people being completely turned around on a dime, you know, in line to come into the revival because they're dragged there by their parents. They're not even in the faith. And then by the end of the week, they're in the baptismal tank, you know, <laughs> shaking under the power of God, thanking God for his mercy. Yeah. And, and then you see them 20 years later as solid right. citizens in the, in the kingdom of God. Amen. And it, it was night in, night out. Yeah. And just witnessing this, it was like angels watching God at the dawn of creation. It still seems surreal that we were even there. Yeah, and, and, and friends, here, I've written much about the revival. I've spoken much about the revival. But reading Bob's book where he paints a picture of what it's like in revival, again, Robert Gladstone, A Time to Build. You can order the book at thekingspeople.org forward slash build. Thekingspeople.org forward slash build. So reading your account of it stirred me afresh. And even as you're talking now, I have to hold back tears Mm -hmm. because of the memory of what we witnessed God do night in, night out, saving sinners, bringing back backsliders, renewing believers, calling people to holiness. So many got a call to the mission field out of it. The school of ministry was raised up out of it. And by God's grace, we've sent out missionaries around the world in a couple of weeks, we have our 20th annual missions conference, as mind-boggling as this is, all God's gracious fruit out of revival. And yet, a major point you write in your book, and a major point of starting with revival is to say, thank God for revival, and we must have a, a fresh wave of revival for, for America's future, but revival can't do certain things, and revival is not intended to do certain things. So what would you say by divine intent and by the very nature of the thing would be limitations to revival? Well, the the conscientious uh, following of the Word of God in constituting the church, that does not happen automatically in revival. Revival serves the larger purpose. You know, Steve used to say, God loves you and has a plan for your life. And I see in that a little code from the Lord that God has a plan, and it's actually bigger than revival. It's the building of the house of the Lord. Revival does not automatically make sure the house gets constituted as a family. It rather awakens us right where we're at, and then it's up to us to take hold of revival, the deposit it gave us, and the purpose of God, and build God's house his way. The The responsibility is on our shoulders to do it in partnership with him rather than for him to do it for us. So the revival gathers the lost, awakens the saints, brings us to repentance, and now we have to get on with the business. We have to get on with living our lives as disciples. Just reading a Facebook comment from one of our grads, John, I feel the fire of God as he, Bob, recounts the story of revival. And as I read what he wrote, Bob, it's very common if we sit together with with old friends that were in the revival or with grads who uh, sat in the school of ministry with us and were in the revival, 
and we sit around a table, maybe we haven't seen each other in years, and we sit together and we begin to just share memories. We're all, we're all crying within, within seconds. We're all crying because of this memory of what God did and the reality of, of his presence. But we always knew that that's not the end goal. The end goal mm-hmm. is, is to then get on with the work and reach the lost and fulfill the, the Great Commission, our part of it in our generation, and see Jesus glorified to the max in our own lives. And, and that's what's been on your heart ever since, that, that we've got to build the house of the Lord. Bob, what are you hoping? We've got a minute. What are you hoping that readers of your book will get? Oh, that they will catch the vision and realize what God's purpose really is. And that purpose is on this side of Jesus' return, to build his house his way. During revival, we experience visitation, but that is not God's ultimate purpose. His ultimate purpose is habitation, and you can't get habitation without building his house according to his wisdom. That is the purpose that revival serves. So we've, we've talked about it. We talked about it during the Brownsville Revival, going from visitation mm-hmm. to habitation. So Jesus is the one who builds his church, yes, but he builds it. Through us, just like he reaches the world through us. Are we cooperating with his blueprint? We come back. I want to dive into 1 Corinthians with Bob. He wrote a doctoral dissertation on it, and his insights of 1 Corinthians are incorporated in his new book, A Time to Build. Again, to order, go to thekingspeople.org forward slash build. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, Let me give you a moment of history. I'm sitting here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Robert Gladstone, known by his name Bob, which we realize you can spell forward and backward (laughs) and comes out the same way. One of the things we love about Bob or spelled backwards, Bob. But sitting here with Bob, he's written an amazing book, A Time to Build, Revival, the Church, and God's Eternal Purpose. We're going to dig into 1 Corinthians and and some of what we learned there about the pattern of the church and building the church. But I just want to give you a bit of history. So I had been praying and crying out to God for many years for outpouring revival in America. I was very close to Leonard Ravenhill the last five years of his life, famous for the book Why Revival Tarries. I preached 40 or 50 times for David and Don Wilkerson in Times Square Church in New York City in around 91 to 95, and, and that further quickened my heart to see revival come to America, such a praying church with such a strong message of repentance and holiness. And then God called me to be part of the Brownsville Revival, which began Father's Day of 95, lasted about five years. The, in the year 2000, waned some, uh, and then really came to an end about that time. But the fruit of the revival continues. The fires continue to burn around the world. And God called me down about 11 months into it. It was months before I could get down there. Right before getting to Brownsville, I knew that something was ready to break. My book, From Holy Laughter to Holy Fire, came out three months before revival broke there in Pensacola. And the closing words of the book were, are you ready? I knew something was at the door. And God used my friend Steve Hill preacher of repentance and holiness, a great evangelist with the Lord now. He was also close with Leonard Ravenhill. And the first week I was down there, immediately 
a sense we need to do something in the day. Can we do leader? I'll, I'll teach leaders Friday day, general public Saturday day, because the meetings were every night, five, six hours, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Tuesday night prayer meeting, a couple thousand people would come to pray, and then meetings Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, and, and then a day or two of rest, Sunday service, and then, then a day of rest. So we had nothing going on in the day, so I immediately said to the guys, listen, why don't I come? I'll, I'll teach leaders in the day on Friday and teach general public on Saturday. And then as I was leaving, God dropped something in my heart, four E's, that the revival needed to entrench, needed to go even deeper, and then expand. We needed larger facilities and more workers. And, and then equip. We needed to train laborers and then export, send the fire around the world. And shortly after that, back home, God laid on my heart to raise up the school of ministry, Brownsville Revival School of Ministry, which became Fire School of Ministry. And Bob was our first-time faculty member and has continued with us for 22 years. And now all of his classes, our entire program is online for you. The same classes where people sat and were taught in the midst of revival, now these people out in the mission field and around the world bearing much fruit for Jesus, you can take the very same program, the full curriculum at your own pace online. Go to fireschoolofministry.com to find out more. But Bob, in those early days of teaching, you, as our first full-time faculty member, along with me, then we brought on others, you would teach survey classes, Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, develop detailed study guides for them. So you're very meticulous. You're, you're very much a word-based person, and you look up as much as you can in the Hebrew and then the Greek, you know, even better. So you, you've got your study guide. You're going through the books of the Bible. You're in the book of Exodus. You're teaching on the tabernacle, and something happened in your class. Describe it. <laughs> Signs and wonders, man. It was just an amazing time. We were talking about the omnipresent God being particularly present in the tabernacle, gifting his presence in his tent to his people. And as we're talking about it, you know, several of the students, as well as myself, began to feel the heaviness of God's presence. And when we looked up into the room, there was a very distinct mist there. And we all kind of sat there in kind of an awe-filled silence for a few moments. And then there was just an, an explosion of praise and intercession for the next, I think, couple of hours. Yeah, it was supposed to be recall. my class came next. That's right, because you never came happened. in. It never yeah. happened. <laughs> right. Well, I, re- I remember I was waiting because the class went from one building into the other building. And you came in kind of white as a ghost and said, Dr. Brown, because your class is next, I think you should see what's happening. <laughs> and I come in, some of the students laying on their faces, others crying out some jumping for joy, and it was a holy visitation. And in a, in a, what was the atmosphere like in terms of fear of God, reverence for God in a moment like that? Yeah, it was a, there was a mixture, but at the root of it, especially at first, was this absolute awe. There was, you know, it's, you know, even to the flesh, a little scary. It's like he's really manifesting his presence. Mm. But it soon turned to a joyful celebration as well as burdened intercession. It just was all at the same time. Yeah, in response to, to yep. God's presence. Mm-hmm. And it's no, nothing we ever looked for or talked about or preached. You know, we're looking for the mist or the cloud. But right. as you were talking about the manifest presence and God coming in the cloud, he manifested himself in that way. And the effect was dramatic on the people. But again, we don't base our life on an experience. We base our life on our relationship with God and on what is written in his word. Right. And you believe that the Word of God has given us a clear pattern, that that the Lord did not just leave us trying to figure out 
how to do church. Again, he doesn't give every specific guideline because things have to work in a multicultural way and through the centuries. Yet you believe God's given us a plan, a template, a blueprint. How does 1 Corinthians tie in with this? Yes. Well, for one thing, Paul talks about his traditions, like an authoritative kind of protocol that he brought into a city, the first of which, as he defines it in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, the, the gospel itself, the full apostolic gospel. The way Jesus and Paul proclaimed it and expounded it, it's not just how to get saved. It's not just justification by faith, though that's crucial, that's fundamental, that's absolutely critical. But it also goes on to the transformation and the new creation in Romans 5 through 8. And then it goes on to the new community that's created by the dominion of God. Romans 9 through 11, all of Ephesians, implied by Jesus in Matthew 16. So the full gospel Paul would bring into a city, and therefore they would follow other traditions having been baptized in engaging what he taught them to do in gathering for prayer and prophecy— which is the tradition he mentions in chapter 11. And then another tradition in chapter 11, the Lord's Supper, which I don't see as a sacrament on the one hand or a little part of a routine during a service on the other, but a family covenant meal that according to 1 Corinthians ten seventeen, both expresses and causes family unity built in love and honor in the spirit. All right. When you say you don't see this as a sacrament, what do you mean? So it's not just something that you're doing to receive grace when you physically take in the meal, though there is something special about physically taking in the meal. It's not just taking the elements and something magical happens. It's rather a covenant meal in the tradition of Passover with the courses of bread and wine or bread and grape juice that remember Jesus and, you know, just mark the covenant, the new covenant there. All right. So when when you do this as a community— how does it work out? Again, this is you, you were part. You've been part of churches for years. Where on a Sunday they'll pass the the communion elements, and you participated in that. And and there's blessing in that, and the Lord moves, and we are reminded of of the death of Jesus and what He accomplished on the cross. So it's sacred and it's holy, and grace is received through this. But you understand there's there's more to that the way Paul describes it in Scripture, and obviously. When he's talking about uh, some get drunk and, and others eat all the, the bread. and they, uh, So there's obviously a meal that's taking place that he's describing there and a proper order to it. So how do you do it in community and, and what do you see as the benefits of that? Well, we all get together. Everybody brings food and the host, you know, has extra sacrifice. And it's just like this. It's a pretty big deal just to have a bunch of people in your home to have a meal. So everybody contributes And then when we begin, we begin with prayer. We remember the body and blood of our Lord. We exhort one another. Sometimes we have prayers right then, and then we have a fellowship meal. Oftentimes after that is when we go and share the Spirit with one another. Sometimes it's before the meal that we share the Spirit with one another, but we try to do it all together. And you have children involved as well? Oh, yeah. So how how do they enter in? Well, I mean, especially as they grow in the Lord, they'll be involved with prayer and exhortation and prophecy, just all the above. You know, the last time this past Sunday, we had the Lord's Supper, and, you know, we learned that it was the children of the home that prepare the entire home for having all these people over. So they're, they're involved from pre- preparation all the way to participation. Got it. By the way, just glancing up at Facebook, just saw Tom, one of our grads in, uh, in Oklahoma when I was there, and uh, he's now a medical doctor doing his internship. And Andrea, part of your community, Andrea and husband Randy, part of our team for 
a number of years. And I know that there were things in, in the hearts of, of, of many of our grads to live something out in a way that was done in community. I know at Fire Church, we have our corporate gatherings, which we love and we worship and hear preaching of the word and, and ask for the moving of the spirit and pray for those in need. But then this has lived out in many, many other ways in community within fire. And you really, you can't be what God's calling you to be in total isolation. So take us through A Time to Build, your new book. Take us through some of the key elements. Revival by design can only go so far. And that if we are to be God's revolutionary people, changed by the Lord, bringing change around us, part of what you call the, the new Jews, Jesus people, which is the, the biblical model we're trying to follow. Take us through the book. Well, so the entire book, shall I read it real quick? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, you, you did a good job of summarizing it. One of the things that I focus on is that God's eternal purpose is to establish his kingdom on earth. It's not merely to visit and revive his people, but to establish his kingdom. What that looks like on this side of Jesus' return is a people, a church as family who are together becoming conformed to the image of Jesus. So I try to lay that whole thing out scripturally and illustrate in our own history how revival was always trying to serve that purpose. Now I'm part of a group of people who are trying to take the power of revival and just the power of the Spirit and follow God's wisdom for his wineskin very intentionally. It's not easy. It's the hardest thing that I've ever done. It's also the most fulfilling and glorious thing I've ever done. And, and are you seeing fruit? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we have, we've had our ups and downs. We go through very challenging times. But, I mean, we're right now in the midst of something like a mini outpouring. Our children are getting filled with the Spirit, radically touched by God. We have beautiful stories just in the last few weeks after praying for revival in our midst. We're experiencing it. You know, we're seeing people new to the faith come to the faith. We're seeing people who are maybe not acquainted with the things of the Spirit getting touched by the Spirit. So we're seeing the fruit. Of course, we always want to see more, but we thank God for what we're seeing. All right, friends, again, the book, A Time to Build, Robert J. Gladstone. You can get it at thekingspeople.org forward slash build. Got a few minutes left. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to The Line of Fire. Uh, You know what? I'm not going to give out the phone number and, and many times when we do an interview, everyone's just focused on the interview rather than calling. Tomorrow's broadcast, we're talking about some important cultural issues, major case heard by the Supreme Court today, the initial hearings. So the oral arguments, very, very important issues we'll talk about tomorrow. We'll take your calls as well. And we've got a very special interview planned for Thursday with Dr. Professor Daniel Gordis, a very important spokesperson the Jewish community in Israel today, coming up on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. All right, so, Bob, Jesus calls us to love God with our hearts and our mind. 
and he talks about the father looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. And he tells the religious leaders that they were mistaken because they didn't understand the scriptures or the power of God. So word and spirit go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how you've lived your life. You have a PhD. You can do advanced scholarly work. You're at home in that world with the detailed footnotes and endnotes and meticulous study and exegeting the text and going through the lexicons. And at the same time, you love the things of the Holy Spirit. And when you were teaching in Pensacola on the tabernacle and the manifest presence of God and the Holy Spirit came, it was in response to the word. So why is it in your own life you don't find a contradiction between heart and mind, word and spirit? Yeah, it's my love for the scriptures that give me uh, a love for the things of the spirit because the scriptures describe it and even command it, you know, be filled with the spirit. So the world of the Bible is a world full of the wonders of experiencing God. And as long as we're founded in the truth and not, you know, basing our doctrine in our life on, you know, ethereal experiences, then this is something that God intends according to his word for his people. So what does it mean to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? I mean, just that that companionship of, you know, interaction with him heart to heart. You know, there's so many verses about this, but the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, you know, hearing his voice, having that sense of his presence, being secure in his love. It's experiential and word-based, and you don't get one without the other. You know, it's not one or the other, it's both. Jesus, when he was walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, refused to be identified without the explanation of the scriptures. He was physically there, but he did not show himself. He prevented, the way I understand the text is he was ultimately preventing them from seeing him until he could explain that this was the way the Messiah was supposed to come, according to the law and the prophets and the Psalms. And then once that was done and he was with them in fellowship breaking bread, he was revealed. He wants experiential continuity with the word. So it's not one or the other. It's simply both. And then later in the chapter in Luke 24, after opening his disciples' minds so they can mm-hmm. understand the scriptures, understand the Messianic prophecy, he says in 2449, stay in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. So they had all the years of mentoring with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to who he was, what he taught, his death, his resurrection. He didn't open their mind to understand the scriptures, but they were not equipped to go until they received the power of the Spirit. That's good. So, so Bob, you talk in the book Time to Build you talk, talk about uh, wine and wineskins. Explain that, and, and why do we need new wineskins for the new wine? Yes, well, you know, God designed his people a certain way, and it's that whole visitation to habitation uh, contrast and concept. God will visit the houses that we build for him, but he will inhabit the house that he builds through us when we build in partnership with him with his wisdom. So that's what we're after. So another illustration is the wineskin. If we want to have, you know, contain the new wine, have God as the resident presence, not just the visiting presence, according to Ephesians 3, then it requires us to fashion the wineskin or to build the house his way, really allowing him to build it through us. That's what I'm after in the book. That's what the whole book's about. All right. So we have the analogy of family. So Mom, the, the way we're all brought into the world is with a biological mother and father. And the ideal setting is to be raised in that environment with biological 
mother and father, and then if they're brothers and sisters, they grow together. How does the physical image of the family work itself out in us being the family of God? Obviously, God is our heavenly father. We don't have a heavenly mother, right? So we're not trying to break it down in that way, but lived out in community here as believers, as children of God, how does the image of the family tie in with the image of the local church? Well, it gives us those those qualities and those principles, you know, that to the Father, we are a household of children, so we're all children. And, you know, in, in Messiah, it's interesting, in our relationship to Jesus, we are the bride. And Paul expounds on that right in the middle of his instructions to the natural families. So it's not an absolutely perfect analogy because you don't have the one father and the one mother in a community other than God himself as the father. And the Holy Spirit is not the mother, but there are some maternal qualities to his presence in our midst, and then we're all the children. So it's it's not perfect because of that, but it still gives us the qualities of and the principles of organic covenant, the bond of love created by the Spirit. All right. Organic covenant, mm-hmm. the bond of love created by the Spirit. Right. Someone might say, that sounds so abstract. How do I live it out? Obviously, that's what's fleshed out in the book, Time to Build. Mm-hmm. But how does a family live, live this out? How does the family of God live this out together? So as you have intentionally gone about building your house church community, the Lord's community that, that he's given you stewardship over, the king's people, uh, you, you've been, again, very intentional about it. And very organic about it. So on a certain level, people have to catch it. They have to live it out. And we've talked about it over the years. And you've just always gone about it a certain way, saying it takes time to bear fruit and to get to a certain point. So organically, bond of the spirit, how do we bond of peace? How do we live this out? What does like a normal week or month look, look like for folks in your community? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, one thing I would say in principle is at least try. You know, it's the intentional building of spiritual family. But for for one example, you know, the meeting that I was a part of this past Sunday, it started at around 10. Now, I got there a little late, so full disclosure. But um, it started at 10. We were leaving at about 3.30. You know, there was a lot of singing together. There was a lot of um, exhortation, prophecy, and scripture. There was a lot of prayer. Then there was a meal and a lot of fellowship. That takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. There's no magic formula. It doesn't even take terrific insight. It's just a matter of understanding these principles of building community and trying, spending the time and the effort all in the spirit to do to do it, to actually do it. So other, uh, other churches in our work, they'll have um, men or women Bible studies during the week. Other times there's just specialized groups that they just meet together in the morning, early in the morning. Last night I was part of a meeting where there was exhortation, there was scripture reading, there was prophecy, there was confession of sin. You just get together and do it, and then you overflow from that to reach your neighborhoods and your city. So... It's, again, being intentional, just like yeah. building your own family. Mm-hmm. We, could all, we could be live in the same house but run in different directions. So there's the intentionality about it. And then it's not some perfect formula. It's a matter of just being the people of God together. Again, friends, the book, A Time to Build, Revival the Church and God's Eternal Purpose, Robert J. Gladstone, forward by Dr. Michael Brown. <laughs> yeah, so— uh, Again, as I said in the forward to the book, I've been waiting for the book for years because I knew what God had deposited in Bob. But 
Bob did not have this ambition, well, I've got to get it out to the whole world or get millions of copies out. His thing was, well, we're living this out together in community, and, and that's the fruit of it. But the nice thing is, Bob, we hear from grads on a regular basis. Some are struggling, some are hurting, and we care about them and want to help them as much as we can. Uh, no matter what church fellowship group you have, uh, some, you're going to go through hard times. And some people are going to have their dreams, it seems, for the moment, dashed to pieces and got to be there to, to pick them up together and get them to the next step. And at the same time, we hear from some who are bearing amazing fruit. And it's, it's, it's striking to see, you know, Bob, I remember going to the Philippines a couple of years ago and met the students in our ministry school. Now, we've had three graduating classes at Fire School of Ministry in the Philippines, and we've got schools in other parts of, of the world. And... Uh, in, in Holland and in Cameroon and Italy and, and other schools, not with a fire name. But I remember coming up to the, to the students and they said, hello, grandfather. Hmm. They said, we are the spiritual children of your spiritual children. So Bob, you and Gina have just become grandparents. So congratulations on, on that. Your grandson and with, with uh, daughter and son-in-law in Wales right now, and hopefully making their way to the States in the future. But what's it like to see, the children of your children spiritually, spiritual grandchildren in that sense, out bearing much fruit. Absolutely amazing, and it's just another aspect of God's heart who is multi-generational, you know, passing on the faith to our children and our grandchildren. That's a blessing I pray for, for our natural family very often. It's just amazing. Yeah, so friends, bearing long-term fruit is what it's about. Revival is awesome. I pray for it. I mm-hmm. seek God for it regularly. Wanted to see God flood through and bring awakening and change to the Church of America and the Church and other nations. But by divine intent, that is for a purpose to take us to a certain place. It is not the end all. From there, we must build, keep the fires of revival burning in our hearts, but we must build strategically. Bob's new book, A Time to Build, will help. If you're a pastor, church leader, by all means, read it and say, okay, within the template of what we're used to or what we feel God's called us to, how can we incorporate more of this, individual believers, read it. You'll be enriched and helped. Go to thekingspeople.org forward slash build. All right, back with you tomorrow right here on The Line of Fire.